Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. Shalom, shalom, world changers. Great to see you guys. So let's start out with the Great Commission, okay? So this is uh, what is typically known as the Resurrection Sunday. So, um, I mean, we dealt with the resurrection story yesterday. And, uh, and so now we're going to talk about the Great Commission and the Ascension and the replacement of Judas. Who was the replacement of Judas? We will find out for sure. Amen. House of Torah says Shalom. I like that username and Shalom. Welcome, welcome, welcome. By the way, for those of you who are on TikTok, I am live on YouTube as well. And I'm actually going to be sharing my screen on YouTube. You might like it better over there if you're interested in jumping on over there and, and, uh, and finding me. If you don't have me over there already, just search for Christopher Enoch or follow the link that's in my bio on TikTok and uh, it will take you right there. I'm live right now. So I'm live streaming multiple multiple different platforms. By the way, we have live stream going on through Podbean live podcast as well. Uh, I'm just trying to very, very small here. Prince Adu Enoch uh, over there on Podbean Livecast says, thank you and amen. Welcome. Welcome, brother. Great to see you. All right, guys. Um, yeah. If you're interested uh, to, if you're interested, if you can, watch uh what i'm actually reading go on over to youtube you might like it better over there i'm live streaming on i think it's about what 10 different platforms right now all simultaneously all right let's do it this is the start with the great commission okay for those of you who are on YouTube, there we are. I'm sharing my screen. Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples Again, let's not forget that a disciple and an apostle are not necessarily the two, are not necessarily the same thing. You can be an apostle without being a disciple, and vice versa. Although it's probably easier to be an apostle without being a disciple, a disciple really there are there were only twelve disciples um, in the flesh. I guess you would say there were only twelve disciples. Uh, the word disciple means student. It's just another word for student. Um, it's a fancy word for student. So to be a student of Yeshua, and you know, literally back in those days, it meant that you actually uh, you actually went to his you know his school, like his yeshiva. He 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 would be the rabbi, and you would be the disciple. You would be the student. Being an apostle is something different. An apostle is someone who is sent. So, so Yeshua, Jesus, can send somebody to do something for him, and that person might not even be a disciple of his. So, technically speaking, that person is an apostle, but not a disciple. So let's not get these things uh, you know, confused, confused, right? Let's not conflate disciple with apostle. Let's say, for example, if I ask someone, let me just bring it right down to uh, down to earth, so to speak, uh, into the modern age. If I ask someone to go, um, you know, get me a glass of water, 
I know that sounds very overly simplified. I know that sounds very much very simple, but technically speaking, that person that I asked to get a glass of water for me is in a, is an apostle of mine because I send them to do something. That's what an apostle means. Actually, the the word apostle is just a transliterated Greek word. It's a translated, transliterated out of the Greek into English. The Greek word is apostolos, which simply means a sent one. You're sending someone to do something. That's an apostle. A disciple, on the other hand, is a student that goes to a school. And so Yeshua had, Jesus had 12 students in his school. He handpicked them. After his, after his baptism, he handpicked 12 disciples to be students of his school. He chose them. Okay? So, we know that one of those uh, disciples, one of those disciples took his own life and you know uh just previous to this and this is matthew 28 verse 16 then the 11 disciples went away into galilee so that's why there are 11 there and not 12 okay so 11 disciples went away into galilee to the mountain which jesus had appointed for them now again let's not let's not forget that matthew and luke are very different to say the least when it comes to um when it comes to the uh uh the the resurrection story the the story of uh, the commissioning and all that kind of thing in Luke Yesh- uh, Yeshua Jesus told his 12 or 11 disciples not to leave Jerusalem to stay in Jerusalem Okay, that was the orders. Whereas in Matthew and Mark and John, they were told to go to Galilee. It's different. Many people would say it is a contradiction. And if that's what you want to say, if you want to say it's a contradiction, I have no problem with that. Let's let's call it what it is. Luke says they stay in Jerusalem. That was the order, stay in Jerusalem. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and John go to Galilee. So that's why it says the 11 disciples went into Galilee. And this is in Matthew 28, verse 16, uh, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Okay, so they went where they're supposed to go, you know, in uh, in spite of the fact that in Luke, uh, Jesus didn't, you know, told them not to go anywhere. Um, but, I mean, let's, let's, read, let's read it for what it says. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples, make disciples, make students. In other words, basically what Yeshua is saying is now, you know, I was the rabbi here these low, these many months or years, depending on how you want to interpret it. Some people say it was about a year. Other people would say it was three years that Yeshua was actually uh, in his uh, ministry of being a rabbi with his 12 disciples and going around, you know, doing good, healing all that were pressed to the devil, yada, yada, yada. Um, Whatever the case is, at this point in time, Yeshua is saying to his disciples, now you're, it's done. Okay. Now you become rabbis. Now you make disciples. You go and you make students too. You teach others. So go therefore and make disciples of all, all the nations that a lot of Christians read that over. 
and it goes over their head like a 747. They don't know what hit them. This is big. This is huge because Yeshua is bringing a, a completely new concept to the table here. And that is to go and take the message that he taught the, the teachings, the doctrine, the practices that he trained them and to train all the nations, meaning the Gentiles. So this is in a, in, clearly Yeshua at this point in time, he has made them all, all 11 of them, apostles to the Gentiles. So a lot of people say that Paul is like the only apostle to the Gentiles and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Not so. Uh, the 11 disciples were apostles to the Gentiles long before Paul knew anything about the Lord, okay? Long before Paul ever had the road um, to Damascus experience. So the 11 were the original apostles to the Gentiles. Some scholars would say at least a decade, up to 15 years or even longer, it, it, before Paul even came onto the scene at all. So, so Jesus said, go basically, and now you guys, you can, you guys, I, uh, you know, you're, you graduate, I, I ordain you as rabbis to go and make disciples of the Gentiles, go into all the nations. It's, it says here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Again, this is huge. Why is it huge? Because some people, actually not some, a lot, a lot of people say that Yeshua, Jesus, only came for the Jews, okay? I mean, uh, I mean, he when all the things that he taught when he was, you know, with his twelve disciples, that was just for the Jews. Uh, our our apostle is is Paul. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, you know. So therefore, all the things that Yeshua taught about salvation, about God, well, that's just for the Jews. You know why they say that? Because they realize that Yeshua, time and time again. He said, in order to, to obtain eternal life, in order to get saved, you must obey the commandments. You must observe the law. That's what he taught. Time and time again, they came to him. Jesus, how can I obtain eternal life? Well, what's the commandments? You know the commandments. He always answered that way. And so that teaching, he says to his 11 disciples, he says, now, now it's time. Now you guys have graduated, more or less. You guys have graduated. I ordain you as rabbis. Now you can go and make disciples. You go make students. Go find your students into all the nations. You are apostles to the Gentiles, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. What did Jesus command them? The law of God was, it was always talking about the law. Everything he taught was from the law of God. Everything in full accordance with the law of God. You see in the uh, Gospel of John, which I think it's a very good um, point that the Gospel of John has, is Yeshua said, um, if you believe Moses, you believe me. 
if you read, you know, you, you're reading the scriptures thinking that the, in them, in and of themselves, you have eternal life, but you don't realize they all speak of me. What scriptures was he talking about? The New Testament wasn't even written at that time. What was he talking about? He was obviously talking about the Torah, the law, and the prophets. In other words, Yeshua made it very clear. I am in full, uh, I am, I am in full accordance. I am in tune with the, with, with the law and the prophets so much that if you believe the law and the prophets, you will believe me. If you do not believe the law and the prophets, you will not believe me. I make myself one with them. If you believe Moses, you will believe me. I make myself one with them. Remember Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said, a prophet is coming like me. And all every Christian I know of, they all say that, you know, that prophecy is speaking of Jesus, which I agree. But a lot of people, it goes over their heads. Like, like me? A lot of people think that Jesus and Moses are two opposing forces. Not opposing at all. Jesus made it very clear. They are together. They are part of the same team. If you listen to Moses, you should listen to me. If you believe Moses, you should believe me, is what he said in the Gospel of John. If you read the scriptures, you should realize that all those scriptures, i.e. Torah, i.e. law, i.e. prophets, i.e. so-called Old Testament, all of that, all of that is all about me. Not in, a, in opposition to me. Not like, well, that was, that was the age of law. Now we have the age of... No, 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 no. It was all about me. Let me tell you something. If your Jesus is not in full agreement with the law of God, you got the wrong Jesus. If your Jesus is not reflected accurately and fully in the Old Testament, quote-unquote Old Testament, you have the wrong Jesus. He made it very clear. He made it very clear. All of those scriptures are all speaking of me. So he commanded his 11 disciples to go into all the, to be apostles to the Gentiles. And he said, you, you, he didn't say, teach them something different now. He didn't say, oh, okay. You know what, guys? I went through, I went through, you know, three and a half, four years with you guys already. You went through the program. You went through the school. I trained you, but let's scrap all that now because now you're going to the Gentiles. You got a different gospel to go. You got a different word to, to bring to them now. Forget about everything that I told you because now uh, it's, a different, it's a different age or a different word. No, God forbid. He said, basically, now you're trained. Now you've, you've got all the teaching. You walked with me. You talked with me face-to-face, hands-on experience. Formal students, you graduated. Congratulations. Now you guys go and make disciples. You guys go and you are apostles to all the nations, to the Gentiles. Teach them what? Something new? No. Teach them all that I have taught you all along. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Again, this, Christians just don't, they, a lot of Christians, they do not actually sit down and think about what what it actually says here in Matthew. It just goes right over their head like a 747. 
They don't even know what went over their head. Lo, so Yeshua wrapped it all up by saying, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So that's Matthew. Now in Mark 16, I'm going to read this. I know last, uh, yesterday I did not read this. Um, and, you know, honestly, I'm not even sure if I, sh if I should actually, sp I'll read some of it. And the reason why I didn't read it last yesterday, um, because Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20 is, uh, is an interpolation, is an, is an addition that was added hundreds of years after the fact by an unknown author. Scholars know this fact very well. Okay, it's not, it's not something that is, is in the original manuscripts. In fact, uh, most Bibles today will, will have a footnote at the end of the uh, of this of this page, in the bottom of the page, right here. Uh, if you, for those of you who are on YouTube right now, you're watching me. Uh, this footnote here tells you right here. It says uh, Matthew 16 verse 9 to 20 are bracketed in the NU, that's the NU manuscripts, as not in the original text. They are lacking in the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, although nearly all other manuscripts of, of Mark contain them. So the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, by the way, are some of the oldest Bibles that we have on the earth. Actually, the Codex Sinaiticus is the oldest Bible on earth. It's the oldest Bible on earth, and it does not have Mark 16 verses 9 to 20. It ends at verse 8. Okay, so having said that, I mean, there's the disclaimer. Let's read some of the things that have been added. But like I said to you yesterday, um, some of these things, a lot of people lost their lives because of what's written, written here. Like, you know, we have these snake handling churches. We have these people. Uh, I even uh, heard testimonies of people drinking deadly things and such and so on and so forth. But I mean, uh, they stake their whole life on this. They stake their soul on this. And it's not even, it, it is, it is a proven forgery. It is a proven forgery. I mean, honestly, let's be honest about it. Okay. Having said that, let's read it. <laughs> At least part of it. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Later, he appeared to the 11 as he sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those uh, who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will um, take up serpents. Again, there, there's that snake handling thing right there. They will take up serpents. They will drink anything deadly, and it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. <sighs> it's a very sad thing to know that a lot of people have lost their lives handling snakes, believing in this portion of scripture that's not even legit. And this is the reason why they die. Let's be, let's be honest. This is the reason why they die. It's not who wrote it. Who knows? First of all, a lot of scholars don't even know who wrote Mark, period, let alone who added to Mark hundreds of years after the fact. Okay. However, 
I, you know, let's let's just look at this because this is part of the uh, the Great Commission. All right, so Luke chapter twenty four. Actually, we we dealt with John the other day as well in John's Great Commission. It's not actually it's not the Great Commission. If you look down here in um, the bottom right hand corner on on the screen on YouTube, the Apostles' Commission. It's very different from the Great Commission. You know, he appears to the apostles. He says, "Peace be with you." Basically. Um, um, you know, Shalom Alechem, uh, um, he showed his hands and his side and he said, uh, you know, as the father sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, told them they have power to forgive sins and, you know, went on from there, uh, with the whole story of Thomas and that, that whole thing there. Um, so. Let's go to the book of Luke. Now, I am going to do this as well, okay? I've said this many times. I'll say it again for those of you who are new that are listening to this. The four Gospels are not created equally. They are not created equally. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four different authors. John, or the author of John, I should say, because there are many, there were many Johns back then, and a lot of scholars don't even know if it was who, which John it was, if it was even a John. Uh, you know, somebody just put the name John on it, although the author does not identify himself whatsoever. Um, but John is is very, very uh, different from the rest of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, definitely not equal to, let's say, Matthew or Mark. Um, John is in a league all, all, all in itself. Um, Matthew, I would, I would put Matthew as the most accurate of all of the four Gospels. Luke would be the second most accurate. Mark would be the third, and John would be the fourth. Um, Luke has got some problems, and this is what I want to say before we get into too many. Um, uh, like from here on out, I'm gonna, we're going to be reading Luke and and uh, Acts chapter one. But before we do that, we should know what we're reading. Take it with a grain of salt. Let's do it in a very let's do it in a very scholarly way. Okay, so Luke has got some problems too. They all have problems, but I think out of all of them, Matthew has the least, in my opinion. Luke has problems too. Uh, the uh, Luke chapter three. I'm, I'm not going to go through all of the problems of Luke. Actually, I saw uh, there's a brother who actually made a list of 135. What he like? I didn't. Please understand me. I didn't go through all of these points. So uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just letting you know what I saw. Uh, this guy he. Um, believes that he found 135 contradictions in the book of Luke. And he actually put it on a website and listed it all, 135. Again, I didn't go through it all. I didn't confirm it all. Uh, my point is this. I'm only going to touch on a few different problems with Luke tonight, just to give you an, an idea. And definitely not exhaustive. Uh, but for example, the, um, the genealogy of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, excuse me, Luke chapter 3 is quite different, all the way from King David all the way to Joseph, quite different 
than Matthew. In fact, I believe it's entirely <laughs> different. It's diff very different, okay? It's a different genealogy. Now, I've heard all kinds of different things like, well, Matthew is uh, the genealogy of Joseph, whereas Luke is the genealogy of Mary. There's a couple problems with that. Number one is, it says very clearly in Luke, it's the genealogy of Joseph. Now, I understand there's always a way to explain something away. There's always a way to try to make it, to reconcile it. If you want to reconcile it, you can, no matter what. You can make up something to make it sound right. But I understand that people will say, well, yeah, I know it says Joseph, but really it was Mary. Because when Mary was uh, engaged to Joseph, she was legally one with Joseph. Therefore, it was Mary's genealogy, but it has Joseph's name on it. I used to even use that. Okay, I used to even use that excuse. But it doesn't say that. It does not say that. And that's really, to be honest with you, that's a far-fetched excuse. That's a far-fetched reconciliation. It says clearly Joseph. Another thing is, too, as well, we have ancient documents, such as the, um, the Nativity of Mary, uh, writ written way back in the early centuries, the uh, Protovangelion of James, also uh written way back in the early centuries, okay? And they actually go through uh, the, uh, the story of Mary and Mary's parents. Mary's parents, according to the ancient documents, was Anna and Jehoiakim, okay? Actually, you can find this, um, you can also find this, uh, uh, spelt out for us as well in what they call the uh, Super Gospel this, by Robert Farrow. He puts together all of these different uh, historical and um, uh, theological documents of the ancient, the old, you know, from the early centuries. And uh, you'll find here, uh, Mary's parents uh, is uh, Jehoiakim and Anna. And there's a whole, there's a lot written about Jehoiakim and Anna, Mary's parents, and a lot of this, you know, a lot of uh, the story, a long story about it, actually. And again, this is not something that was, you know, in modern, you know, modern uh, fiction or something like that. It's something that was, you know, um, de derived from and actually um, uh, reproduced from ancient, ancient documents. Like this nearly, well, how many, I don't know, how many, they, very, very ancient. And then the first several hundred years of, uh, uh, of the, what would you call it? The, the, uh, the, the um, reign or the age of our Lord, the, um, just a several hundred years after the time of Yeshua. Uh, so we got ancient documents. And you might say they are historical documents that tell us that Mary's parents are Jehoiakim and Anna. Now, in Matthew, Joseph's parents is, Joseph's father is Jacob, not Jehoiakim, so that can't be Mary's line. In Luke, Joseph's father is Haley, not Jehoiakim, so it can't be Mary's line. So we've got three different accounts, and they all contradict Matthew, Luke, and the ancient extra biblical documents. They all contradict. We have many different 
other stories in Luke, and I mentioned this before, where in Matthew and in Mark, you have like one person, like one blind man or, you know, uh, one angel, like how we read there at the tomb. Whereas in Luke, Luke always, I'm not sure why he did this, but it's always, he always said two. It was two blind men and two of this person and two of that person and two of two angels. Why he made the one two, I don't know. I'm just saying, I said all that to say this. There are differences between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are sometimes vast differences, okay? So the story of the ascension and the replacement of Judas is only brought to us amongst the four Gospels. Out of all these four Gospels, only Luke talks about it. Now, we do have uh, the ascension spoken of in other parts. Um, you know, it's mentioned alluded to a little bit in John, like the Gospel of John, where it says, you know, I will go to my father, this kind of thing, like just alluded to, but not really the story of the ascension and, and, and obviously not the replacement of Judas as well. So it's Luke that really records this stuff in, in detail. So as we read this, now as we consider this, let's be mindful that Luke has differed in other accounts, many other accounts, uh, from Matthew and Mark and John. Luke has differed. So, I'm just saying, if we had, you know, a book of Acts from Matthew or from Mark or from John, it may be a different story, okay? At this point in time, we only have one account, and that is from Luke and the book of Acts. So, let's keep that in mind. The book of Luke, I'm going to share my screen on YouTube, and top right-hand corner. All right, so the book of Luke, we'll start with verse 46. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the in his name to all generations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned this before. I think it's worth uh, repeating, and that is that uh, notice it says repentance and remission of sins. It doesn't say the gospel of Billy Graham. It doesn't say you should go and preach that, you know, tell everybody that, that all you got to do is just come forward and say the sinner's prayer. It says you have to repent. And because of that, you get remissions of sins. And again, the whole doctrine of repentance and remission of sins is found very, very uh, clearly in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and following, for those of you who want to look it up. Verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait. And the word here is wait or tarry. Now, literally, this means to stay put in the Greek. It means don't go anywhere. It doesn't mean, like a lot of people think it means, that you, that you can't do certain things, that you cannot replace Judas, for example. It just means stay put, guys. Okay, Don't leave Jerusalem. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
That's all it says. That's all it, that's, that's all it means. That's all, you know, according to Luke, you know, again, taken with a grain of salt. According to Luke, this is all that it means. Jesus didn't say that you could not eat, that you could not, you have to fast, that you could not fellowship, that you could not move, that you could not, you know, uh, use the use the restroom or any like, stupid thing, or you could not um, replace Judas. He didn't say that, because a lot of people they use that uh, excuse. Well, well, Jesus told them to wait, so they they disobeyed by replacing Judas. No, in context, he said, "Wait in the city of Jerusalem." Stay here. Stay put. It says literally, stay around. Stick around. That's what it means literally in the uh, in the Greek. Stick around. That's what he. That's all he meant. Stick around. Okay. Verse fifty. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And when, very interesting how it says he was carried up into heaven, into uh, heaven. So um, uh, how he was carried up into heaven, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Some people believe it was, um, we got in, in, um, uh, where is it now? Uh, The the angels actually appeared and and basically took him up. Uh, It could have been like how Elijah uh, disappeared as well. Maybe the angels came and, put him in a chariot, so to speak, and took him up that way. Um, but anyway, uh, regardless, uh, I think a chariot would be a lot more uh, reasonable, actually, because in a chariot, you have the climate control that you would need for for ascending up so high. Verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they continually, and they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Very interesting. They were in the temple. It doesn't say they built themselves a church. It doesn't say they, uh, you know, they uh, they stuck around at home. It, they were in the temple. Now, what were they doing in the temple? There's only one purpose for the temple. Okay, it was a place for sacrifices. It was a place for worship like that. You didn't go to the temple to get a, a you know, a, a cup of coffee. You know, and sit down and and and, and relax and fellowship. That's not what you went went to the temple for. You went to the temple for service. Now, a lot of people believe that. A lot of Christians believe that when you know Jesus died and rose again, uh, the uh, all of the ceremonial the ceremonial um, activities of the temple ceased or was. Uh, you know, made void when not according to the 11 disciples, that wasn't, they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Okay. Um, now let's go on over to Acts chapter one. Let me just, I'll just make this a little bit bigger for you guys since we're in the book of Acts now. Acts chapter one, Typically uh, believed to be the same author as the book of Luke. Acts chapter 1, it says, The former account I made, O O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering 
by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Wow, that's a long sentence. Um, let's, let's be very clear here. When, when, when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he didn't write it to be part of the Bible. He probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, certainly, he certainly never thought of it being in the, in the Bible. There was no such thing as the Bible back in those days. And he didn't write it to be, um, to be scripture either. This was, this was just very similar to, uh, you know, uh, an epistle of Paul, which it was, it simply was just a letter to somebody else. It was a letter to somebody by the name of Theophilus. Okay. Theophilus. Now some people believe that Theophilus is a, um, uh, what do you call it? It's not a real person, but rather, you know, uh, anybody who will, uh, that, that would uh, want to, uh, uh, assume, um, what would you call it? Because you see, Theophilus means in the Greek friend of God. Okay. So, but I, I do believe that Theophilus was because there were some people that were named Theophilus back in those days. And there are different theories of who this Theophilus was. So I believe that Theophilus was a, a, a real guy. He was a real person whom Luke was writing to. Luke didn't write it to everybody. He didn't write this to the general public. And again, he didn't write this to be inerrant either. It was just a letter that he wrote to Theophilus. Verse four, and being assembled together with them, he, as Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Again, this is in, I'm sorry, but this is, sorry, not sorry, but this is, this is in contradiction to Matthew, Mark, and John, because they all say that Jesus told them, uh, at least they went to, to Galilee in Matthew and Mark. Spe uh, specifically, Jesus commanded them to go to Galilee. But in here, in Luke and in Acts, see, at least Luke kind of made it, uh, what do you call it, consistent, that in Acts and in Luke, uh, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Again, wait what does this word mean? Stick around. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to do what you need to do. It doesn't mean that you can't sing songs and, and, and praise God and you can't worship and fellowship, that you can't do the things that you, you know, the things that you, your daily duties. It doesn't mean that. It just means don't go anywhere. That's all. Why would Yeshua say that? Why would Yeshua tell his 11 disciples not to go anywhere? until the promise of the Father. Think about this for a minute. He gave them the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world. Shocker, it's not just for the Jewish people anymore, it's for the Gentiles, everything that he taught them. Everything that he taught them, which was Torah, by the way, everything that he taught them is for the Gentiles. He said, everything that I taught you, go and teach them, okay? Pass, pass the torch to the Gentiles. Wow. That's an amazing, amazing concept. But before you go to all flesh, because, again, we have the Gentiles were considered to be all flesh. Um, before you go to all flesh, just stick around until you receive the anointing for all flesh. I want you guys, basically what Yeshua was saying to, the, to his 11 disciples was, I want you guys to make sure you, you are there 
present when it happens. When Joel chapter 2 is fulfilled, I want you guys to be there. I want you guys to experience this. I want you guys to receive that anointing, if you will, put it that way. Because you need that anointing for all flesh before you go to all flesh. Because we know, again, the implication is, you read it from Genesis to Malachi, the Spirit of God was poured upon, was, was always poured out, poured out upon Jewish flesh for the most part. I mean, how could anybody prophesy without the without the Spirit of God? It says that Bezalel uh, in the book in the um, um with Moses, he was filled with the Spirit of God. You know, we have, uh, you know, Daniel, who was filled with the Spirit of God. You know, we have many of uh, the patriarchs and the prophets and all the wonderful things that they did was by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God was already upon the Jewish people, on the on in, doesn't matter, this side of the skin, that side of the skin, whatever you want to call it. The Spirit of God was there. They had the Spirit of God. But the Gentiles, on the other on the other hand, well, it wasn't so freely poured out upon the Gentiles as it was upon the Jewish people. So the 11 disciples had to wait until that happened, until that appointed time before they can go and avail themselves of that appointed time, the all flesh, not just Jewish flesh, but wait until the father decides to pour out his spirit upon Gentile flesh as well, all flesh. Then go out into all the world, into all the flesh and Preach the gospel. Teach them what I've been teaching you. Teach them what I taught you. So that's what they were, that's the reason why they were told to wait. Wait. Again, they were not told not to replace Judas. They, they were just told not to go anywhere. That's it. That's all. Wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you, sh you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. Now, this is, diff this is uh, an, an interesting uh, thing here, because you have in the Gospel of John, John 14, okay, so you'll see here, this is the New King James Version, it says, you know, Yeshua, again, take take this with a grain of salt as well, we got, it's the Gospel of John, what can I say? Uh, Yeshua says to his disciples, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither see, sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, you'll see uh, many of the these, in fact, the great majority of these Bible translations have a little footnote, okay? Um, the NLT has a footnote here. Some manuscripts read, and is in you, okay? The NIV as well. The early manuscripts, some early manuscripts say, says, and is in you. Yes. Some manuscripts, and is in you, okay? CSB. Other manuscripts read, and is in you. And so we have these uh, footnotes that tells us these kind of things, which is, I think it's very important to understand that there is a, let's not be splitting hairs here, because you see Yeshua says, according to John, at least in what the, how it says here, some early manuscripts, that the Spirit of God lives with them and is, is in them. Okay. 
So it's important to understand that, that we have those variations. Um, let's go back to Acts chapter six. Again, because Luke, uh, you know, Luke and John and Luke and Mark and Luke and Matthew, they do vary. Uh, they do have variants. They do have uh, um, different differences between between the four of them. So again, here is a diff- is another difference. This is just something that we know. Um, it, what about the things that we we cannot test because we cannot test um, uh, you know a lot of Acts chapter one. And by the way, we can't really test uh, most of the book of Acts uh, entirely. Um, so anyway, verse six. Therefore, when when they had come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" In other words, okay, are you going to perform the the duties of the Messiah now? Right? The Messiah is supposed to come and you know set up his earthly kingdom and and you know uh, lead his people back you know the right way and and be like King David. That's basically what they're looking for. Verse seven. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to and to the end of the earth. Again, this is it right here again. Um, a very, very shocking concept. Hey, you're going to the Gentiles. Verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, they watched while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. How he was taken up again, we, we don't know exactly how he was taken up. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men. <laughs> Luke always likes the two, right? He always brings two in, right? He's always two, two of everybody. I, I don't know why, why Luke does this, but it's always two. Two men stood by them in white apparel. I mean, it could it could have been too, but I mean, you know, it just seems kind of funny that Luke is always he's known for this, right? Compare compare it with Mark and Matthew, the same story uh, in in the earlier uh, parts of the Gospel of Luke when it says one man, you know, or you know one um, angel, whatever. Uh, Luke always puts two in there. Anyway, so two men stood by them in white apparel and also said who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. This whole concept of a Sabbath day's journey, by the way, um, is something that uh, is interesting because really a Sabbath day's journey is a is like a Talmudic concept. You don't really know what a Sabbath day's journey is until you read the Talmud. So um, verse 13, and when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so 
let me just pause here for a second. Let's let's digest this for a minute. So we have all these guys, all of the major, the main uh, disciples, plus all of all of the major players here. We got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got you know the other the women, uh, the other women, which probably would be Mary Magdalene and so on and so forth. Uh, other others. Uh, and the brothers of the Lord as well, J James, of course, all these people would be there. Um, all the major players, all the key players of the New Testament were there. Verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names were about 120. Okay, so there are 120 disciples, 120 disciples there. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Uh, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst, burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Again, this is, this is in... Uh, again, this is in contradiction to what Matthew says that you know Judas, uh, you know, basically hung um, himself. So uh, this is basically that he threw himself basically off a cliff, kind of thing here, um, more or less. Verse nineteen, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that that field is called in their own language Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. So Peter obviously had insight here that this scripture must be fulfilled. Let another take his office. That seat has to be filled before the promise of the father comes. We cannot have it empty. Think of it this way. If, let's say, for example, um, you have, you're part of a church, you're part of the board of the church, or the, you're part of the staff, the church staff, um, and let's say the, um, the youth pastor, something ter terrible happened to the youth pastor, so that, that, that spot's open. I mean, it's empty. It needs to be filled. And the Lord is coming to the church to teach you guys or to, to do something mighty for the church. You want that youth pastor there. You want that youth pastor to experience. You want that seat filled. So all of the disciples, all 120 knew this very well. Nobody objected to it. Remember, they all, if this was something that should not have happened, or if it was questionable. Obviously, somebody would have said, hey, I don't think we should do this right now. But no, they all knew it should be done. It has to be done ASAP. The seat must be filled. We must get ourselves ready for this event. We must fulfill this prophecy. Let another take his office. This is the same Peter who announced the fulfillment of other prophecies a little bit later on in the book of Acts as well, okay? So if this was wrong, then how, how do you know the other ones were wrong? We're not wrong too. I mean, so I believe he knew what he was doing. All of them knew what they were doing. And I believe that because nobody, 
Nobody raised any objections. Nobody raised any objections. Nobody spoke up and said, I object. I don't think we should do it right now. You wait. They all agreed. Remember, they were all in tune with God like you never, like, like you and I can only dream of. I mean, what does it say here? Um, verse 14 again. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. I mean, they were in tune with God. They were pouring out, they were continuing. They that they were they were they dedicated their lives here. They didn't go to work. They dedicated their lives here to prayer and supplication. Obviously, they were in prime the prime position for God to speak to them if they, if God so w- wanted to rebuke them or stop them f- you know from doing something. 120 of them. So Let let another take his office. This prophecy needs to be fulfilled. And they all agreed that this prophecy needed to be fulfilled at this time. No objections raised at all. Verse 21, therefore, therefore, why therefore? Because again, they all realize this is what should be done. I'm sorry for you guys, Paulians, who uh, want to make Paul to be like the 12th disciple. He cannot be. He absolutely cannot be for many reasons, not just one reason, but he just cannot be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he can't be a, an apostle. Remember, remember the, the, the word disciple and apostle are two different words. They're two different offices. But this seat, the seat of Judas had to be filled. It was empty. And the, and the the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 was upon them. The Holy Spirit was about to be poured out. They cannot let that seat go empty. They knew that the 12 disciples had to be there. The 12 seats need to be filled. They knew that Yeshua said to them, you guys, 12, these 12 seats that I, you know, the, I, the 12 disciples, you guys will, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's serious. That's serious. It's not like Jesus just, ah, I think 12 is a good number. I'll just choose 12. Ah, this is an 11. Ah, this 11 is good for now. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll throw Paul in, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that seat being filled right now. We'll just, we'll, we'll, no, they understood it needed to be filled. That th- throne, so to speak, remember, Yeshua said this. That, you know, according according to the Gospel of John, he said that um, you are 12 disciples. You will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It makes sense to me. Why would he choose 12? There were 12 there were the 12 uh, tribes. There were the, you know, the 12 uh, sons of Jacob and the 12 disciples. Why would he choose 12? I think that he ha- it was it was it, there was purpose behind it. It wasn't just, you know, a, you know, a fluke. It wasn't just, you know, just you know, a random number. Verse 21. 
So they knew, they understood. Yeah, this, this prophecy needs to, be, needs to be fulfilled. Let another take his office. This seat is empty. Judah's seat is empty. It needs to be filled. We need to get ready. We need to get everything ready. We were in prayer and supplication for all these many days now. And we come to the place. We believe the Lord's leading us. This seat needs to be fulfilled. This seat needs to be filled. Verse 21, therefore, of these men who had accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Witness, key, key word here, witness. Why do I say that? Because it wasn't just a seat that was that needed to be filled. There needed to be a witness, eyewitness. Why did they say, okay, these, these are the requirements. Whoever it was that they, that they are about to, whoever that they choose or God chooses to fill the seat must be somebody who, who was with them all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, he, whoever it was, whoever we, you know, whoever God chooses to fill the seat, it has to be somebody with the experience. They have to be experienced. They have to, ha they have to be an eyewitness. Beginning from the baptism of John to that day, which he was taken up from us, the whole kitten caboodle, they have to be an eyewitness. Can't be somebody who goes, well, I had a dream. I dreamt about it. The Lord appeared to me in a vision. That won't cut it. That that won't cut it. That doesn't cut it. Can you imagine going to court as a witness and say, yeah, I was there <laughs> in my dreams. That won't cut it. Yeah, I was there in a vision. God gave me a vision. But I only saw one thing. But it wasn't even the whole story. It was only one little thing. Won't cut it. Like, were you there really? No. Just a vision. Doesn't cut it. So they understood the person who filled the seat must be somebody, must be somebody who was an eyewitness, must be somebody that saw it all, heard it all, experienced it, it all. Verse 23, and they proposed to Joseph and Barsabbas, whose surname is Justice, and Matthias. Okay, so Joseph called Barsabbas, excuse me, Joseph called Barsabbas. So it's Joseph and Matthias. So apparently, from all the people, Joseph and Matthias, according to Luke, were two men who were there with the 12 disciples all the time. From the beginning, from the baptism of John to the day that he was, uh, to the day he ascended to heaven. Now, this is amazing because you see, oh, excuse me, and for those of you who are on YouTube, I just, uh, this is amazing because these people were there. They were eyewitnesses. They, they, they heard it all. They saw it all. They experienced it all. They tagged along. They weren't officially students. They weren't, they weren't officially formally enrolled in the 12, you know, in the, they weren't part of the, the, the 12 officially, 
but they were there. Okay? And the reason why I want, this is so amazing is because Matthew, Mark, and John makes no mention of these people at all. Can you, can you imagine? That, gets, that just goes to show how much wasn't told us. That goes to show how much was not recorded by Matthew, Mark, and John. And Luke, by the way, too. I mean, Luke didn't, didn't mention these people in his gospel either. Previous to this. It goes to show you how much wasn't told us. Joseph and Matthias. So let's let's be clear here. Who were they? What were they doing? Why were they tagging along? This wasn't just some hip. Jesus wasn't just some hippie, tree-hugging, cockroach-kissing hippie that went around, you know, hey, I got a cool crew with me, man. I got some 12 disciples with me, man. Hey, join me, follow me. I'll love you to bits. I'll hug you and kiss you every day. That's not what it was like. That's not what it was like. Yeshua was a legit rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a legit teacher. He was a legit rabbi. They called him rabbi throughout the Gospels. And as a rabbi, he had formal students. He was like a school prof teacher, professor. And there, was, there were these students that were enrolled officially and formally enrolled in the program, in the course. Those were the 12 disciples. Now, Joseph and Matthias, and, I'm, and I, I suspect that there were probably many others, because they, they proposed too. They thought, well, J Joseph and Matthias, out of everybody, are probably the best ones out of all of them. What were they doing? Well, you see, today, if you go to a school, most schools will allow you to audit a course. You have the formal students who are formally enrolled. They, you know, they have their names on the, you know, the, they are enrolled. They, they, they have their names down as official students, but you can audit a course. What does that mean? Look it up. Auditing a course is when you, you basically sit in on the, on the course. You, you hear all the teaching that all the other students hear. You see all of the presentations. You get all this experience that everybody else gets. The only difference is you're not an official, formal student. You are an auditor of the course. You get all of the teaching. You get all of the experience. It, you're pretty much just as good as a student, but not. you just don't have it on paper like you are a student. You're, 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 you're as good as a student because you get it all. You got the you're, talk about eyewitness, you're eyewitness, you hear it all, you see it all, you experience it all. That's what Joseph and Matthias was. They were there for everything, according to Acts chapter 1. They were there for everything. And they were like, hey, man, like out of all, I, I, I presume that, uh, you know, some other people were there too. You know, some of the women that it mentions earlier and some of the other disciples that were there, they were probably, probably there for everything too. Just that Joseph and Matthias were probably the only ones that's like, okay, out of this group of 50 guys or, you know, 50 people, girls and guys, um, Joseph and Matthias seem to be the smartest ones and the most, you know, maybe they're the, uh, they seem like they, they, they could be the best, the best 
choices, but we only need one, not two. We got a problem. I mean, it's 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 like being caught between a rock and a hard place. Who do we choose? Joseph and Matthias. So what did what did the disciples do? They did what every other man of God did throughout the history of the scriptures. That is cast lots. That's how God chose. Uh, that's how God showed His choice to many people. Like how the casting of lots is. We see it all the way through the scripture. It's how they divided the land up. It's how God show, uh, showed Aaron which goat would be the scapegoat, which one would be, you know, sacrificed. It's how they chose Achan in in uh, uh, Joshua chapter seven. It's how they how God showed the people that Jonah was the one on the ship. I mean, it's it's how uh, it's how they divided up the duties. Anytime there was a question about, okay, who does what, or who goes where, or what animal goes where, or what, whenever there's a multiple choice, uh, you know, uh, circumstance, and you, you're not 100% sure which, which choice to make, the casting of lots was always God's way of showing people what his choice is. That's the way it was all the way through scripture. The, all, all the disciples knew this. The 120 disciples who were experienced a lot more than anybody within the sound of my voice. Anybody who says, well, they did the wrong thing. Hey, excuse, I'm sorry. But those 120 people who walked and talked with Yeshua, who knew the disciples, who were there, who gave their self, who gave their lives to praying and, and, and supplicating for this event and to be there. The ones who were chosen, the 120, I dare say they know better than us all, don't they? How dare any of us say that they that we know better than them? No, sorry, we don't. They knew. The seat of the seat of Judas was empty. This is a major, a major fulfillment of prophecy just around the corner. The Spirit of God is upon us. Joel chapter 2 is upon us. This seat needs to be fill, filled, and the prophecy needs to be fulfilled. We need to make sure we got the house in order. And nobody raised any objections about it. Verse 24, and they prayed. Again, they knew what to do. Let me just add before I read on here. If they were making a mistake, this is the prime time for God to say, excuse me, guys. No, I don't want you to do this. I mean, they were in prayer all this all this time, low these many days. And they prayed. They did exactly what they, what they should do. They prayed and said, oh, you, oh, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Done. Period. Full stop. End of story. Thank <sighs> you. 
Before I open it up for you guys and your questions and your comments, and again, live chat, if you guys want to, anybody wants to come on here and talk about this with me, again, the link is in the description on YouTube. There are a couple things that we that I ask that uh, you guys uh, adhere to. Got to have some order here. We got to make sure that uh, uh, the malicious activity is kept to a dull roar. So um, there are seven. Seven points, seven piece of evidence that tells us that Matthias was God's choice to replace Judas. No one else. Number one, because it says so. Simple as that. It says so. And it, it says nothing other than that. It doesn't say later on in the book of Acts. It doesn't say, well, yeah, we... Sorry, Matthias, but <laughs> you get bumped out. Um, you know, we made a mistake. Uh, you know, Paul gets your place. No, Paul could not do it. Paul could not do it. He he did not have. He could not meet the requirements. Again, what was the requirements? He, they whoever fulfilled whoever filled Judas' seat had someone who was with the Lord all the. Time, from the beginning of the baptism to the day he ascended. He must be an eyewitness. Paul made it very clear in, let me just pull it up here. Actually, um, let me just go here in 1 Corinthians. For those of you who want to take notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul made it very clear. He's talking about the, uh, the resurrection. Okay, so in verse f three, for I delivered to you first of, of all, again, let's, let's take this in context. Paul is talking to a few of the believers in Corinth. He never thought about us reading it 2,000 years later, okay? He's talking about a couple guys that he met in Corinth. This is, this is what that he wrote a letter to. So he's telling these guys, he's saying, for I delivered to you. First of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas or by Peter, then by the twelve. So he speaks about the twelve as, as a third party. He didn't say that he is part of the twelve. Okay? So who are the twelve? Right? This would be including Matthias, obviously. He didn't say, then by the eleven and also by me. No. He said the 12 as someone other than himself, the group that's outside of himself. Verse 6, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the presence, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, they passed away. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also. Okay, so he's talking about the vision that he had on the road to Damascus. Keep in mind, that was a vision. Okay, Jesus didn't come again at that point in time. It was a vision. Verse 9, for I am the least of all the apostles. I am the least of the apostles. Okay, so the, so the Bible says, let me just use that terminology. The Bible says that Paul is the least of the apostles. So what, is, what do Christians do? They say they believe the Bible, but they say that Paul is the greatest of the apostles. They say the opposite to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 says. I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Okay. Um, uh, let me just see here. So he talks about being born. He 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 is. He says in verse eight, he is as one born out of due time. What does that mean? That means that he admits that he came late on the scene. He missed it all. He missed the baptism. He missed the youth of Jesus. He missed the birth of Jesus. He missed the uh, <laughs> he missed the ministry of Jesus. He missed the, the miracles of Jesus. That's why he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't talk about the, the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't talk about the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't teach the teachings of Christ like that because he wasn't there. He alludes to the death. Well, I mean, everybody knew back in those days Jesus died, and you know, and some people believe that he rose again. So he talks about the death and the resurrection a lot. Yes, he does. But other than that, he doesn't say much about Jesus, about his teachings, about his doctrine at all. He's one, in his own words, as one born out of due time. He missed the bus. He wasn't there from the beginning. He wasn't there all the time that the Lord Jesus was among them, going in and going out. He wasn't there from, for the baptism. He wasn't there for the Mount of Transfiguration. He wasn't there for the raising of Lazarus. He wasn't there for the raising of anybody by Jesus. He wasn't there for the miracles. He wasn't there to hear the teachings of Christ. He wasn't there. He was like one born out of due time. He could not, he did not, and never will qualify to be a replacement for Judas. He was not an eyewitness. Was not an eyewitness. So it says that the person who replaced Judas had to be someone who was there all the time from the beginning of the baptism to the time he was to the time Jesus ascended, being a witness with the others with us, a witness with us, an eyewitness with us, basically. Not someone, well, he wasn't there, but he's still a witness for us. Well, how can he be a witness for you, for you get, for the other 11 if he wasn't there? Let me, let me put it this way. These guys knew what they were doing. The 120 disciples knew what they were doing in the upper room. They knew what they were doing. They made a very wise decision and God never rebuked them, never, ever rebuked them for doing this. They knew they had to choose somebody who got, who had the same experience they had. A witness with them who saw the same things, who heard the same teachings, who went to the same places, who had the same hands-on training, an auditor of the course. Let me let me just help you guys. I know some of you who are listening, especially some of the replay. Let me help you understand what their point of view was. 
and why they did what they did and why it was the right choice. Suppose you're in a, a small private plane and you're 20,000 feet in the air, altitude. And there's like four of you. You got the pilot, okay? You got some guy who was uh, who knows the pilot very well, is with the pilot a lot. You have another guy in the back seat and you have yourself. It's your flight. You paid for the flight. It's your tour. In the middle of the tour, in the middle of the flight, the pilot has a massive heart attack and dies in, in the cockpit. You're the boss. You paid the, you paid the bill. You got a choice. You got two other guys to, to jump in the cockpit and to, and to pilot the plane and to save your life. And the one guy was with the pilot all the time. He doesn't have the formal certificate that the pilot had has, but he was there for the training. He was there through the whole school. He audited the course. He got the same training the pilot did. He went through, he, he had the same teacher as the pilot did. He saw the same things. He heard the same things. He had the same experience, the same hands-on training. The only difference is he was an auditor of the course. He wasn't officially, formally enrolled, and he doesn't formally have the, pa the paper. He just doesn't have the paper. That's all. But he has all the knowledge. And then you got some guy in the back seat going, hey, I had a vision of the instructor. <laughs> let me jump in the let me jump in the cockpit and, and land this plane for you. <laughs> um, buddy, like how much how much experience you got? Well, the instructor told me, well, he spoke to me a couple times. Uh, I think it was. He told me five sentences is what he, he spoke to me. He spoke five sentences to me. It's like the other guy is like, man, I live, I live with the instructor and I, I, was with, I was with this pilot for, man, like three and a half years, okay? I mean, I got all the training. I know what I'm doing. I went through the whole thing. I saw everything. I got the same training as the pilot, okay? Which one would you want to take this, the the uh, the the cockpit. Which one would you want to pilot the plane to your city? Would you want the guy who audited the course, who got the same training as the pilot, to take hold of the yoke and to land the plane properly? Or would you like Buddy in the back seat who says, I just got a vision. I, I, I met the instructor in a vision. <laughs> and he spoke to me five, five sentences, you know? And he, which one would you choose to be the one who is competent to take the seat. Now, anybody in their right mind, unless you're just being an idiot, anybody in their right mind would say, I'd take the guy out of the audit of the course because he, I mean, no contest. I mean, common sense. 
not the guy who claims he had a vision. Even if Paul was there in Acts chapter 1, which he wasn't, but even if he was there, and he just claimed to have a vision, a road to Damascus experience with Jesus, he still could not qualify. And anybody that would put him in the seat of Judas would be an idiot. Matthias, obviously, Matthias and Joseph both had the qualifications. They both had the qualifications. And apparently they were both great guys. They were both, you know, equal, equally good choices. And God showed them, showed them which one that he wanted to take the place in the proper way, through prayer and the casting of lots, just like how he always did. So there are seven points that prove that Matthias was the one that God chose. Number one, the Bible says so. Number two, the Lord never rebuked them for choosing Matthias. Never. Other things that other apostles did, um, yeah, the Lord rebukes them instantly. You know, and the Lord rebuked, you know, whenever somebody did something wrong, the Lord rebuked them instantly. He wouldn't let, let it go, right? Delayed justice is no justice. So he wouldn't let it go. He rebukes them fast. The Lord rebuked them for doing this because it was the Lord's doing. <laughs> it was the Lord who did it through the hand of the of the apostles and the disciples. And, and with with the consention, with the with the consent of all of the 120 that were there. So the, the Lord never rebuked them. That's, not, that's point number two. The Lord never rebuked them. Not to mention the people. Nobody else had any problem with it at all. Number three, and this is something I want you guys to pay, pay, pay special attention to. The early church fathers that succeeded the disciples also confirmed that Matthias was the legit replacement. I'm going to show you guys. If you're taking notes, now's the time to take notes. Irenaeus, an early church father who existed just shortly after the, the age of uh, the 12, the time of the disciples in the early second century, uh, Irenaeus was born and um, in the mid-2nd century, approximately, he wrote a book called Against the Heresies. Against Heresies, book two. Against Heresies, book two. I want to show you something from this book. Let me just see if I can pull this up. Mm-mm. Uh, for some reason, it's not, it's giving me a problem with this. Okay, um, I'm going to have to do it differently here. Okay. Um, hope you guys can see this when I post it. Here we are. This is from the Antinicene Fathers, Volume 1, page 1000. This is from the writings of Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers. It's, can, this 
is a page out of the book called Against Heresies, Book 2, Chapter 20, Paragraph 2, page 1000. And it says this, Then again, as to their assertion that the passion of the twelfth aeon was proved through the, through the conduct of Judas, how, it, how is it possible that Judas can be compared with this aeon uh, as being an emblem of her, he who expelled, he, excuse me, he who was expelled from the number of the 12 and never restored to his place. Never restored to his place, by the way. For those of you who have crazy theories that maybe possibly he was, he was never. For that aeon, um, whose type they declare Judas to be, after being separated from Enthymesis, was restored or recalled to her former position. But Judas was deprived of his office and cast out. While who? What does it say here? Who was ordained in his place? Matthias was ordained in his place, according to Irenaeus. If anybody should know this, it would be Irenaeus. He, he, he lived during the time, perhaps even Matthias was still alive. Okay? He knew very well. He couldn't make this stuff up because he lived just within years of this event. Now, go on down a few pages to page 1002. He confirms this again. Um, right here. Uh, for in the one case, Judas was cast away and Matthias was ordained instead of him. Now, in case that's not enough, you guys, to understand that this is actually the truth, let me show you something else. This is Antinacian Fathers. Volume 2 of the writings of the of Clement of Alexandria. And he lived just shortly. It was in, in maybe the, it was around the turn. This this particular book is called the Stamata that was written. They figure about 198 to 203 AD. OK, a little bit later than Irenaeus, but still it would have been well within pretty much within uh, not not long after the fact. Uh, book 6, chapter 13, page 1074, for those of you who want to know all the specifics. It says, not that they became apostles through being chosen for some distinguished pe peculiarity of nature, since also Judas was chosen along with them, but they, they were capable of becoming apostles on being chosen by him who foresees even ultimate issues. Matthias, accordingly, who was not chosen along with them, in other words, he wasn't initially, you know, officially, originally part of the Twelve, on showing himself worthy of becoming an apostle is substituted for, Jesus, for Judas. Okay? So again, here's another witness. And as it says in the scriptures, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. We got, we got witnesses here, folks. We have witnesses. Matthias 
is the substitute for Judas, according to Clement of Alexandria and according to Irenaeus, who would know better. Definitely, he would know better. So that's number three. Number four is they did it in the prop in in the proper way. They cast lots exactly how God always made His choice known when there was a question, when the choice was questionable. That's the way it was always done throughout the scriptures. Number five. Paul did not meet the requirements. We we dealt with that. So Paul did not meet the requirements. No, uh, nor will he ever meet the requirements. Um, if if Matthias if Matthias was the wrong choice, then the only other choice that's left is Joseph, according to Acts. The only other choice is Joseph. We know that Joseph wasn't chosen. Therefore, that makes Matthias as the legit choice. Number six is when Jesus said, wait, he was very clear what he meant by that. Again, the very word in Greek itself tells you. It means stay put. It doesn't mean you can't do anything. It doesn't mean you can't pray. It doesn't mean you can't fellowship. It doesn't mean you can't eat. It doesn't mean you can't use the restroom. It, does, it, doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean you can't uh, uh, sing uh, psalms or songs or hymns. It doesn't mean you can't do that. It doesn't mean you can't replace Judas. Of course, it's supposed to be done. It just means you leave. Don't. Try to make the make it say what it does not say. Jesus very clearly said in Luke and in Acts, the command is, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere else. Stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. That meant. And number seven is, it's just common sense. You're not going to choose someone like Paul or any other person who wasn't there, who doesn't have the experience, who wasn't, is not an eyewitness, who doesn't have the knowledge that, that method that Meth had. And my, may I add as well, uh, and, uh, number eight. I know I said there's only seven, but let me just let me just add another one in there. Church history proves that Matthias, after Acts chapter two took place, the disciples did what Jesus commanded them to do. They went out into all the world preaching the gospel, and Matthias went with them. Church history tells us that. Matthias went with Andrew to be specific, and he went north. He he went north. He went up and through Syria, and some believe it went into Russia and this kind of thing around that area, um, Asia Minor, and that kind of thing. That's what church history tells us. Therefore, we have plenty of evidence that Matthias was the legit choice, and they did the right thing. And those eight 
points are eight pieces of evidence that proves that fact. Okay, let's see what you guys got in live chat. Anthony asked the question, I've been listening and reading Revelation and was wondering, according to the other scriptures, would Jesus' second coming be after or before the seven trumpets of the tribulation? I believe it's after. And when on the timeline is, is the mark of the beast released in the midst of the, of the, of the trib? N another very good question. Uh, typically, it's it's believed to be like in in the beginning of the tribulation, or even even shortly before the tribulation. Um, that's that's my understanding of it, uh, Anthony. Thank you for your question. Very good question. Going nowhere. A little bit off topic. Question: Have you ever read the Talmud? If so, uh, would you recommend Christians to read it? I can't say I've read all of it, uh, some of it. The Talmud is just like any other book. Like, I mean, it's, it, it, maybe I shouldn't say it's just like any other book because it does have a degree of authority in, in religious circles. Uh, but you know, it, would I recommend Christians to read it? After you have the Torah, the written Torah and the Tanakh, down. I mean, you need to have it down. You need to know it very well. Once you got that down, yeah, go ahead and read it. I mean, you can, because you can use your knowledge that you got from the Torah, studying the Torah, studying the, uh, the Tanakh, the scriptures, uh, to judge what it says in the Talmud. Going nowhere says, do you think people can still age and grow in heaven? For example, if a child died and went to heaven, would they be able to grow into a teenager and eventually into an adult? Um, you know, this is something that scriptures, I don't believe there's any scripture that really gives us any detail about that. However, I have heard from testimony of people who have claimed actually a specific brother I know of that have that claimed to have actually been in heaven, um, and come back to talk about it. According to him, yes, actually more than one. Actually, I heard several different testimonies. The, so the answer is yes. However, uh, I have heard that the age of a person in heaven does not, uh, it, a person still looks young, but is in, in, you know, in the same time, very, very old. Um, if you can imagine, um, like someone like Abraham, for example, you know, he would still have this youthful look and, and vigor and, 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 and life to him, uh, but at the same time being very, very old. Going where says, do you think Christians should avoid getting tattoos and or piercings? Two different questions there. Tattoos, I do believe so. If you do have a tattoo, I mean, that's a different, that's a different story. I mean, uh, but if you don't and you're thinking about it or, or if you're wondering about it, I would say no. Um, so I would, I would recommend not to, if you don't have it, if you do have it again, that's a totally different story. Um, and so, you know, you can only do what you can do. And I, you know, in, in the God, God understands that. Seek the truth in Christ says, do we need pastors, deacons, bishops, overseers today? Is that what we need today or the churches today got it all wrong? Well, I mean, we just read the story of the Great Commission, and so there's a story of how Yeshua taught his disciples, taught his students very well uh, in the ways of God and, uh, you know, in the instructions and the law and the Torah. Uh, and then he sent them out to make other disciples. Um, so if they were to go out and make other disciples, 
um, they would have to be some kind of a pastor or some kind of, you know, to, they would have to be somebody with the similar role of Yeshua himself, um, you know, in, in a mini sense, I guess you would say. Um, so I don't, I, I wouldn't say it's wrong. I, it is wrong to go with, uh, you should test everything. You should never idolize anybody. Um, God does put people in our life to help us along, to lead us and to mentor us. That's, uh, you know, that's quite clear to me. Um, it can be a problem when you get too organized, when it's too organized, too or over organized, it's a problem. It, we should be more like brothers as opposed to, oh, you know, pastor and, you know, clergy and laymen. It should be more like all brothers. Uh, I don't know a whole lot. So, I, you know, let me just say this. I don't know a whole lot about the Orthodox hierarchy and the protocol there, but I like the idea that the Orthodox Church, they don't like, they don't like a pope. You know, they, they reject the idea of a pope. Um, for similar reason to what you're what you're saying, they don't think that one man should be put in in charge of like is more like it, it, we have you know leaders that are on equal ground so to speak. Um, yeah, I just got to be careful with that. I mean, it's I think it's it's just practical and it's re, it's just reality that people are they do. Uh, assume roles as pastors. Now, again, when I say pastors, I'm not talking about like formal, organized religion kind of pastors, because pa pastor means shepherd, right? So, so anybody like you can be a pastor if you have people like that you are, the people look up to you, or uh, if people are um, you are kind of helping them along in their walk with the Lord, you're like a pastor. You're like a pastor. Um, yeah, so we got to be very, very careful though when it comes to being organized, overly organized. You get overly organized, you can get way too much into the system. You can idolize a system more than God. I see that so much. You know, today people idolize their church. They serve their church. They don't serve God. They serve their pastor. They believe their pastor. They don't believe the Bible. That's wrong. They idolize their church. Their God is their denomination or their God, is their specific church, as opposed to God. Uh, and so that's wrong. So you, you just got to really, um, yeah, just, just be careful. Very good. Very good question, by the way. Thank you. King Tammy says, Shalom all. Shalom, Tammy. Great to see you. Deborah says, I'm reading the Sefer and it says, dwell with you and shall be in you. Yes. You need to realize that the Sefer is actually, it's not a translation. It is a manipulation, I call it. it, it they, they take the King James and they just change the names. And um, for the most part, uh, it's, it's the King James that it's based upon. Uh, it's, it's not a trans. They do translate some a few words here, a few words there, but really what 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 they did, they just took an already established text like the King James, and they just edited it a little bit here, a little bit there, changed the names, transliterated the names, and that's what they did.
going nowhere says, what do you think about Pope Francis? Well, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's good for me to say what I think about Pope Francis. Okay. Um, what do you think about Pope Francis? I mean, you know, let's, let's, uh, uh, it doesn't really matter what I think about Pope Francis, uh, but uh, I mean, it, study the scriptures, study the scriptures yourself and uh, see what you think about, about Pope Francis. I, I can go off on a tangent there and, and, you know, as you can probably tell, I'm trying to avoid it, but uh Yeah. I don't, I'm not all that, you know, I, I can spend a lot of time tearing down other people like personal, personal things, but I, I don't really necessarily like to do that. Voice of one. What do you think of Justin Martyr? Really like his writings. Um, so Justin Martyr. Um, he says a lot of things about the Jewish people that I, and, and not just the Jewish people, but the, uh, the whole outlook upon the Jews and their practice in, in such, I'm not like an expert in Justin Martyr's writings. I do, I'm, I am familiar, vaguely familiar with it though. So that's, you know, briefly what I, what I, you know, I, I, I have my reservations there. One John says, uh, what does it specify, excuse me, does it specify what Catholic, casting lots is like did they throw dice or pull the short straw or cut a deck of cards um i, cer I certainly would say it's not a deck of cards a deck of a deck of cards has actually got a um, um a bad name because of how much it's used in the occult um pulling the short straw i'm and I mean, similar to that, although it's not really casting. You're not really casting anything. I think it's probably more like throwing dice. And to, to answer your question specifically, I've done a lot of looking, you know, looking into that as well. And it seems like nobody really knows. Like, really, the short answer is nobody really knows what casting lots is. It seems to be something like like throwing dice or flipping coins, this kind of thing. That's basically um, the idea of it. Thank you for your question, one John. Going nowhere says, did Paul or Matthias ever meet Jesus in person? Well, we know, like what we just read here earlier, we know very, very clearly that Matthias was with Jesus closely for uh, as long as the 12 disciples were. Uh, so he definitely met uh, Jesus in person. He definitely knew Jesus as well as 
Well, maybe not as well as James, Peter, James, and John, because they were part of the inner circle, but at least as good, as well as Thomas or, you know, Bartholomew and these other guys, um, you know, Andrew and such. Definitely. Yes. Paul. No, he did not meet Jesus in person, at least not in the flesh. Uh, you know, Luke uh, claims that according to the writings of Luke in the book of Acts, that Paul met Jesus only in a vision as a vision. And we know it was a vision because nobody else saw Jesus only did. Right. So, um, it was a vision. Jesus come back in the flesh to talk to Paul. Uh, keeping that a lot of people have visions of, of, of Jesus as well. So there's a lot of people that say, well, Paul, you know, everything, everything that Paul wrote is hundred percent, you know, uh, true. And it's all scripture because Paul, you know, had a vision. Well, uh, let's just say he did have a vision. Well, you know, millions of people claim to have a vision of Jesus. Does that mean everything they write is true and word of God? You know, um, let's be, let's be consistent here. Here's an interesting one from D live. I pick up an angry type of sense from you many times with your explanations and facial expressions, bro. It will eat you up the, the, uh, let the creator be angry. Uh, only he can be righteously angry. Well, that's not true. Only he, no, it doesn't say that. I mean, it's it be, you know, in your, uh, even as Paul, the apostle said in your anger, do not sin. And by the way, I mean, I get, uh, I wouldn't say it's angry. Uh, although I do get angry sometimes. I mean, at, at the condition of the world, be, I get angry with, with false doctrine, with the, the amount of, Destruction that has been uh, wreaked upon this world by by false doctrine and churchianity. Yeah, it, it uh, you know I get I get passionate about it. Let me put it that way. I'm not I wouldn't uh, you know I wouldn't say angry per se. Although being angry is nothing wrong with being angry as long as you don't sin in your anger. As far as only God be, can be righteously angry again, you're, that's something that you make up. That's not what the scriptures say at all. I mean, if if uh, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then God is in you, and if if God is angry, then God can get angry through you. Okay. Psalm one nineteen says, "Hi everyone, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see you. Please pray for me. I need comfort badly." Okay, sure, yeah. By the way, those of you who know, uh, whenever we get a prayer request, we want to jump on it right away. Uh, take that very seriously. So let's everyone. Within the sound of my voice, like I am streaming live right now on TikTok, on Podbean as a live podcast, and on um, eight other platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and a lot of other, several other ones. Um, and so everyone within the sound of my voice, let us join together and pray, okay? So, Father, we come before you, Father. We love you, Father. You are holy. You're, holy is your name. You are the great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant of love with those who fear you and those who love and love you and follow your commandments. Father, we, we thank you, Father, for bringing us to this place tonight. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to fellowship together. We thank you, Father, for all the things you've shown us and all the things that you you did in our lives and how you've uh, had grace uh, and you showed your love to us 
time and time again. So Father, we ask you, we, jo- we all join together in unity. We ask you um, to have mercy upon uh, upon Psalm 119, 40, 142, have mercy upon this, uh, your beloved child here, Father. Father, pour out your love, pour out your spirit afresh upon her. Let her let her know your comfort in ways that maybe she's never known before. In greater ways, let the let the water the watermark as it as it as it were rise in her heart in her life. Let the watermark of of your comfort rise in her mind, in her heart, in her life. Let your peace, let your shalom in every area of her life just saturate her right now. And Father, let the comforter come right now. Father, we welcome you. We invite you. We give you permission let your com- let the holy spirit let your spirit the comforter come upon her right now give her peace direction calm every storm let the storm be calmed let peace come peace and shalom In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, everyone said, Amen and Amen. Voice of One says, Peace be with you, brother. Thank you again for your knowledge. Always appreciated. Thank you very much, Voice of One. Appreciate you. Psalm 119 says, You can call me Callie if you want to, Christopher. Sure, I will. Sure. Amen and Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for thank you for your fellowship. Thank you for for asking. Um, you know, we uh, as believers, we all we're all part of we're all part of part of the body, right? We all we all need one another and um, we all need to support one another. Amen. Okay, guys. So um Yeah, very interesting, Deborah. The lot is cast, or all into the lap of the diviner, but the decision, Mishpat, is from the Lord. That's very good. Very good. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. Because actually, you know what? Honestly, Deborah, I was going to I actually I was going to actually bring up that scripture tonight. And for some reason I didn't, I don't know what happened. I forgot about it or it just wasn't, I just didn't have, I forgot about it. But Thank you for bringing that up because I, I read that earlier today. I'm thinking I got to talk about this tonight. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, talk about being on the same page. That's awesome. And Deborah says, and amen, amen. Yes. Thank you very much. So yeah. So ca- casting the lot is like when what they did in Acts chapter one, that was in accordance with the Lord's will. That was in accordance with with God's um, commandments, with, with, the, uh, with the Tanakh. It was in accordance with the scriptures. It was all, it's all good. All right, guys. So that'll be it for tonight. Tomorrow, um, we have we're going to continue with our 
chronological reading. Tomorrow we're going to get into more of the um, uh, chronicles. Uh, just let me have a quick peek to see what we're, where we're at here. Um, pretty soon we're going to start Proverbs as well. Proverbs is going to be very interesting. And Lord willing, one of these days we'll get into Sirach as well, right? Ecclesiastic, Ecclesiasticus, uh, the wisdom of Sirach. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. So we're going to get into some Psalms, Chronicles tomorrow, and uh, we're going to continue our chronological Bible reading every day uh, for the next, what, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. On Friday, we have Onia coming back as well on Friday. Uh, and again, this Saturday as well, Lord willing, it will be uh, typical um, Shabbat service at 2 p.m. Eastern. But we're, we're live by the grace of God every day. Every day by the grace of God, we are live 7 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern, with the exception of Saturdays, and that is at 2 p.m. Eastern. So thank you guys for joining. Thank you for your questions, your comments. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. It's all about you guys. You guys are awesome. So thank you. Thank you. One John says, thank you for your insight on the scripture. Have a great night. And thank you again, One John. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Deborah says, Proverbs. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. Awesome, awesome uh, portion of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. You see, the disciples, all 120, I'm pretty sure they probably knew that. They knew what the Proverbs said. That's why they did what they did. Tammy says, have you ever read the Gospel of Thomas? How do you feel about it? Yes, I have multiple times. I think it's very interesting. I think it's uh, I think it's a must-read and a must-study for every Christian. Definitely don't throw it out. Definitely. Um, I <laughs> I would put the Gospel of Thomas amongst uh, above some other books that Christians read, you know, in 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 the Bible, actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, I th you know, a lot of people say the Gospel of Thomas is like a, a Gnostic work. Well, I don't really see it that Gnostic. I really don't. Uh, very interesting, nevertheless. And I think it's a good read. Must read for, for every believer. Uh, Deborah says that Urim and Thummim. Yes. Uh, so that's another way that God um, showed his will uh, to his people. The Urim would be like the lights. Apparently it was the lights that was on the... Um, the breastplate of the pre of the high priest. They would have the all the twelve um, stones uh, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, and the urim was the light. Somehow, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I mean, the uh, it was a supernatural thing with these lights, these gems, these gemstones would kind of illuminate themselves somehow. I don't know what happened, but that's that's one of the reasons. That's one of the ways as well that God showed His will. Going nowhere. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon on this channel before? Not yet. Not yet. Lord willing, we will. T Deborah says, thank you, Christopher. Always a pleasure. It's mutual. Thank you very much. All right, guys. I'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Eastern. Same time, same place. Until then, be blessed. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. And um, until then, be blessed. May the Lord 
guide you, give you wisdom and understanding beyond every other, uh, beyond, beyond your imagination. Voice of One, do you have a TikTok or video about the chronological order of the Bible? I don't. Very good. Uh, I, do, I don't, but that's a very good idea for sure. Thank you. All right, guys, as always, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you tomorrow.